0: Turn your Bibles, Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Jason, did I give you my outline? I'm starting to reconsider that, because every time I have a sermon topic, y'all put the exact verse I need up there. And I didn't think I gave you the sermon outline. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's really good at what they do. I don't know who it is. Maybe it's Brother Bunty. I don't know. That's impressive. But Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Galatians 6, chapter chapter 6, verse verse 10, Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. The Bible says this, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, whatever a man sows that he will also reap, for he who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. He says, "...the one who is taught ought to share in all good things with the one who has taught him." That shows the appreciation for the teaching, the appreciation for the message that's given. So if you're the recipient of that message, you need to share in all good things with the one who gave you the message. And then he goes on to say, I want you to understand, don't be deceived, you reap what you sow. You've heard that, you reap what you sow. If you're going to sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption, eternal corruption that is. But if you sow to the Spirit, your will of the Spirit reap eternal life. And then he goes on to say this. He says, I want to make sure that you don't grow weary while doing good. Did you know that? Did you know that you can get so caught up in doing good things, so caught up in doing the will of the Lord, so caught up in serving your fellow man that you can get tired and you can get worn out? And Paul is saying, don't do that. Hang in there. I know you're working. I know you're doing a lot of things. I know you're teaching. I know you're edifying. I know you're being hospitable. I know you're helping the needy saints. But, but hang in there. Because if we don't lose heart in due season, we will reap eternal life. I like to say that when Paul makes these instructions here, he's not talking to every Christian. <laughs> He's not talking to all Christians out there. And I say that from from this standpoint. Can you imagine a a football game? And uh, during the football game, we have this young man who's a third stringer. And and he's just sitting on the bench, as we say, just, just riding the pine He rides the pine in the first quarter. He rides the pine in the second quarter. He rides the pine in the third quarter. He rides the pine for most of the fourth quarter. And then all of a sudden, here comes the coach over to Mr. Benchwarmer and said, Hang in there, man. You're doing a good job. You you, you almost got it. Hey, don't don't give up, man. Don't give up the fight. You're doing so well. I'm so proud of you. And Mr. Benchwarmer says, Coach, I've been sitting on the bench. I ain't done anything. What are you talking about? That's kind of how I feel about Galatians 6, 6 through 10. He's not talking to the Christian who shows up Sunday morning, on Sunday evening if you have an evening service, on Wednesday night. And that's about the extent of that person's service. (laughs) He's not talking to that person. He's not talking to the Christian that doesn't do any teaching. He's not talking to the Christian that doesn't do any edifying. He's not talking to the, creature, uh, the Christian who never opens his or her home to other brethren. He's not talking to the Christian that doesn't do anything in terms of relieving the needs of the needy saints. He's not talking to the Christian that can't even remember the last time they did something to help the unbelieving poor. He's talking to people who are working for the Lord, wearing themselves out. Those are the Christians that need this ammunition of, hey, hang in there. Don't give up. I know you're working hard. I know you're laying it all on the line. You put a lot of time in, a lot of effort, a lot of sweat equity, but hang on. Because if you hang on, you're gonna reap what you have sown. And so the question I ask tonight is this. Do you fall in the category of Christians that Paul is talking about in Galatians 6, 6 through 10? Well, let me ask the question this way. Are you Not asking about the entire congregation. (laughs) Not talking about the eldership as a whole. I'm talking about you individually. Are you wearing yourself out for Christ? That's the question on the table. I want you to look in the mirror and ask yourself the question. Am I wearing myself out for Christ? Because you, if you're doing that, you're the person that we're talking to in Galatians 6, 6 through 10. You're the person who needs this admonition. You're the person who needs this exhortation. You're the person who needs this encouragement. And we all ought to be in that situation where we're just wearing ourselves out for Christ. So first question is this. Are you wearing yourself out for Christ in teaching the lost? Are you wearing yourself out for Christ in teaching the lost? We do understand that each individual Christian has an obligation to teach. It's not just the elders. It's not just the deacons. It's not just the preachers. It's not just those that we think are especially gifted, but every single Christian has an obligation to teach. Christianity is a teaching religion. If you're not doing any teaching, let me tell you, you're in for a rude awakening on Judgment Day because that's what the Lord came to do. And he expects his people to do what he came to do, which is to seek and to save the lost. Let's look at some passage on that. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. The Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he, who made, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul says that we, through the blood of Jesus Christ, have been reconciled to God. That we were, as I think one of our brethren said earlier today, we were enemies of God. Romans 5 bears that out. And we have been reconciled. When you reconcile somebody, they've been estranged. They've been at odds with one another. And we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. So he says, if you have been the beneficiary of that reconciliation, in other words, you have been reconciled to God, you know what? Now you have an obligation to take that very word that reconciled you to God and share that with other people so that they themselves can also be reconciled to God. You were the beneficiary of that. Now you got to pay it forward. And you pay it forward by going out and sharing the word of reconciliation. That means we all have to teach. We all have that obligation. We are all ambassadors for Christ. Now I know some of my brethren uh, say that, well, no, I think that's limited to the apostle Paul. I disagree with that based on the context. But if you don't like that one, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. I think we can clear that up. That every Christian has an obligation to teach. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. 1 Peter, the second chapter, verses 9 through 10. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. The Bible says this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. He says, look folks, you're special. You're special. You're set apart. You're a holy nation. You're his own special people. You're a royal priesthood. Why? So we can feel good about ourselves. <laughs> Why? So we have a sense of belonging. So we have a social group. Everybody's gotta have a social group. This is just our social group. Why? No, none of that is why. He says, this is why you're called out. This is why you're sanctified. This is why you're a holy priesthood. This is why you're his own special people. So that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why you're a special people. That's why you're set apart. And if I proclaim the praises of him who called me out of darkness into marvelous light, guess what? I have to declare the praises of God. I have to set forth the praises of God. I have to tell the praises of God. I have to teach and every single one of us falls within the umbrella of 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 through 10 each one of us must teach but kevin i'm a young person i'm in my teens i'm a christian but uh, you know I, i'll do that later each and every one of us must teach but but kevin you got to understand i'm a young mother These kids are driving me crazy. I'm doing the best I can just to maintain my sanity. Every single Christian must teach. Kevin, you got to understand, man, I'm on the back end of life. I haven't paid my dues. And, you know, I I just want to just ease on out of this life. And, you know, I've done the best that I can. Every single Christian has the obligation to teach. And it never stops. You don't retire from teaching. Where do you find that scripture? Second Opinions 2, verse 1. It's not in the Bible. We have an obligation to teach. I know of a brother who's passed away now, but he was in an assisted living center and he was constantly teaching. <laughs> he was constantly trying to get Bible classes, constantly trying to lead people to Christ. He didn't stop just because he had retired from secular employment. Christianity is a teaching religion. Each and every one of us need to be involved. In. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, are you wearing yourself out for Christ in teaching the lost? 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, 1 Peter the third chapter and the 15th verse. The Bible says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready, give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Peter says you need to set apart God. And a special part of your heart. God is special. He's holy to you. He's in the most important thing to you. He says you set him aside, and when anybody seeing how that is so important in your life, when they see the manifestation of that in your behavior, when they see your good works, and they start asking questions, why do you believe such things? Why do you have that disposition Why are you so calm in the face of storms? He says, that's an opportunity for you to do what? To teach. You give a defense to everyone who asks the reason for the hope there's in you. Now that applies to everybody. Everybody. I think sometimes we're sleepwalking through Christianity and we we miss opportunities every single day. Every single day. Somebody says to you, hey, where do you go to church? That's a teaching opportunity. (laughs) Or they tell you where they went to church. That's a teaching opportunity. If they ask, so why, why, why do you feel like you got to go every Wednesday night? I mean, come on, man. It ain't going to hurt you if you miss one or two. What, what? That's a teaching opportunity. Somebody say, you know, man, I noticed, man, you never use any profanity. What's wrong with you, man? A little profanity don't hurt anything. That's a teaching opportunity. Why are you always dress so modestly? I mean, get with the times. That's old-fashioned, 1950s stuff. Come on, man. That's a teaching opportunity. There, when anybody asks the reason for the hope that is within you, it ought to go off. Ding, ding, ding. Teaching opportunity. Take advantage of it. Why? Because that's what we're in. We're in the teaching business. We want to bring the light of the gospel to a sea of darkness around us. And that's really, that, those are teaching opportunities on a silver platter. That's the easy stuff. That's the low-hanging fruit. I mean, if you don't get that, man, come on now, that's easy. We are in the teaching business and we need to be wearing ourselves out with that. Ask yourself, when's the last time you said anything about Christ to a non-believer? When's the last time? Have you ever said anything about the gospel to your co-workers? Have you ever said anything about the gospel to your fellow students? Have you ever said anything about the gospel to your relatives who are not Christians? And if not, why not? Now we talked about this morning now. You you can't, you gotta act on your faith. You can't sit here with this knowledge, okay, there's only one church, and you gotta obey the gospel to get into that church, and baptism is a necessary part of that, and you know people around you don't believe that, but you're gonna keep it to yourself and not say anything. You can't do that. That's not acting on your faith you got to share that knowledge. you got to share that information. Why? Because the Lord came to seek and save that which is lost. Luke 19, 10. You're in his church. He's the head of our church. Whatever he came to do now becomes our mission. When you signed up, and yes, you signed up for the Lord's business when you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you got into the teaching business. And you say, well, I don't know a whole lot. I don't know about the book of Revelation. And, man, I don't know about some of the minor prophets. Hey, hold up here. I know something you do know. You know what you did to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you don't know that, I question whether it's legitimate. Now, you got to do it with understanding. If you just got wet, I mean, I tell people if it's dead, we don't care about what people understand. We're just going to get the biggest people we know, get some of these big burly guys, and we're going to get a mobile baptistry, and we're going to go out in the community, we're going to knock on doors, and people uh, answer their door, we're going to snatch them up and put them down in the water. But see, that's not going to do anything because you've got to have understanding. You've got to have faith. Colossians 2, 11 to 12, faith in the working of God. And so like I said, you've got to know what you did to obey the gospel. Share that with people. Share that with people. And if you need to get some heavy hitters to help you out on some of the, the minutiae or some of the higher level stuff, that's fine. But you still have to teach. And you still can teach. And i tell you what, maybe this is the problem. Maybe we forgot why we need to teach. Let me tell you somebody who didn't forget about why he needed to teach. That's the apostle Paul. Look over 2 Corinthians chapter five, verses 10 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter five, verses 10 through 11. You you listen to what Paul says about why he taught. Maybe that'll give us a clue as to why and how we can be more effective teachers. We gotta have the right motivation. 2 Corinthians chapter five, verses 10 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter five, verses 10 through 11. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now listen to verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God and also trust are well known in your consciousness. He said, look, I know some things. Here's what I know. I know there's a judgment day coming. I know at that judgment day, he says, we're all appear before Jesus on that judgment day. And we're going to have to give account for the things that we've done in the body, whether those things are good or whether those things are bad. We're going to have to give account of it all. But he says, I know something else. He says, I know the terror of the Lord. In other words, I know the wrath that is to come. In other words, I know the wrath of God on those outside of the body of Christ. I know that. And that knowledge, that understanding, that appreciation of the terror of the Lord on all those outside the body of Christ, you know what that does to me? It compels me to persuade men. That's teaching. That's teaching. I wonder, I wonder if we woke up every morning and we spent just a few minutes thinking about the horrors of hell would we be more effective in teaching if we spend just a little bit of time each day thinking about the wrath of god that we talked about a couple nights ago would that not motivate us the way paul said it motivated him to persuade men you think about that that's not just throwing some stuff out paul is He's encouraging men, he's cajoling men. He's wanting wanting them to be saved. He's doing everything he can. Why? You've gotta be rescued from the wrath that is to come. Do we feel that way? Do we feel that way about the folks we know around us who are lost? And we're just gonna, we just were beside ourselves. We got to do everything we can to persuade them to come out of darkness into that marvelous light that we are in because we obeyed the gospel. Are you wearing yourself out for Christ in teaching the law. Second point, are you wearing yourself out for Christ in edifying your brethren? Are you edi- wearing yourself out for Christ and edifying your brethren? We do know that, right? Each and every one of us has an obligation to one another, to edify, to build up, to encourage, to exhort one another. And, and we're not leaving that just with the people with uh, the the gregarious outgoing personalities. We're not talking about personality. We're not doing Myers-Briggs. We're not doing that kind of stuff. Everybody, everybody can encourage another Christian. And so we're talking again about something that everybody has an obligation to do. Look at Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 through 13. Hebrews, the third chapter, verses 12 through 13. Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 through 13. Are you wearing yourself out for Christ? In edifying your brethren. Hebrews, the third chapter, verses 12 through 13. The Bible says Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, who is he talking to? First of all, let's establish that. He says, "Beware, brethren," meaning these are baptized believers, meaning these are fellow Christians, meaning these are folks in the kingdom, right? He says to them, "Beware, lest there develop in you any of you an evil heart of unbelief." Somebody says, "Well, no, that can't happen. That can't happen because once you're saved, you're always saved." Well, now let's watch this. Now, watch what the Hebrew writer says. He says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, what you hear sometimes people say, Well, you, once you're saved, you're always saved. So if somebody leaves the faith, they were never really saved in the first place. All right, let's hit that again. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. In departing from the living God. Now, okay, if I depart from the living God, what does that mean? I must have been with God, right? You can't depart from somebody you haven't been with. So if you're saying that somebody who falls away was never with God in the first place, are we saying that we got some men that are so clever they got one over on God? (laughs) I don't think so. So it must be possible to have fellowship with God. And then lose that fellowship, i.e. departing from the living God. And in fact, that's the whole reason for the rest of the verse. That's what he's saying. Look, it is possible for each and every one of us to develop an evil heart of unbelief. Notice that too. I think that's interesting. That the heart of unbelief is characterized as evil. You know, a lot of times we think evil is just limited to immorality. And certainly it includes that. But the scriptures are telling us that an unbelieving heart is evil. Check Revelation 21, eight for that as well. But the point is this. He says every single one of us can develop an evil heart of unbelief and therefore depart from the living God. What do we do about that? Let us exhort one another daily while it's called today. You see that connection? It's the possibility of apostasy, the possibility of falling away. He says, that's a reality for every preacher. That's a reality for every elder. That's a reality for every deacon. That's a reality for every member. That's a reality for the person who's walked with the Lord for five decades. He says, on the basis of that reality, we need to encourage each other. How often? Daily. 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 Why? To keep that from happening, lest anyone be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see that? It's important. You need it. I need it. We need to be encouraged on a daily basis. Here's my question. Are you doing that? I didn't say the congregation as a whole. I didn't, I'm not talking about the eldership as a whole. You individual, are you encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ so that they don't depart from the living God? Because if you're not, you're not practicing Christianity as we see in the New Testament. And not only should we be doing it, we need to be wearing ourselves out with it. And folks, it's so easy to do. It's so easy to do. Got a brother down in Oak Mountain. Those of you that have some roots there will know him. The name is Paul Stidhamire. And Paul Stidhamire is what I call my Barnabas. And he's not only a Barnabas to me, he's a Barnabas to a lot of Christians. Now, before I go any further, I want you to understand the significance of that statement. Turn over to Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. Acts, the fourth chapter, and verse 36. Are you wearing yourself out for Christ and edifying your brethren? Acts 4, 36, and Josephs, New King James Version I'm reading from, and Josephs. Who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, let's catch something here. Now, if you thought that on Josie's birth certificate the name was Barnabas, you'd be wrong. <laughs> That's not his birth name. birth name is Josie. Some versions say Joseph. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Well, who gave him the name Barnabas? If it wasn't his mother and it wasn't his father, who gave him the name Barnabas? The 12 apostles. Now think about that for a second. 12 people that the Lord handpicked to be his ambassadors in a very special and unique way. Very spiritually minded individuals. And they collectively were so impressed with this man, Joses, And his ability to encourage the brethren. His willingness to encourage the brethren. That they say, no, we're not calling you Josephs anymore. We're calling you Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Friends, I'm telling you, anybody who's so impressive that the apostles come together and say, we're going to change your name to son of encouragement. That brother's doing something right. That brother's doing something right. So with that backdrop now, let me circle back and pivot back to my friend and my fellow brother in Christ, Paul Stidemeyer. Paul Stidemeyer is a truck driver. Drives over the road, and I can't tell you how many times that brother has, out of the blue, just called up. A lot of times, I'm unfortunately not able to pick up the phone, so it's a voicemail message. But it'll be something along this lines. Hey, Brother Clark, how you doing? I'm out here on this road and looking at God's beautiful creation. Really glad to be alive. And I was thinking about you and your beautiful family. And so glad to, to be in the same church as you and really looking forward to seeing you Sunday. Brother, I love you. Hang in there. And I'll tell you what, if that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what does. <laughs> and he's doing that all the time. And I love it. I love it. I need it. He, may, uh, he sends a lot of texts. I remember a long time ago, I was kind of on the cheap side, also kind of a conscientious objector to this texting stuff. I was like, come on, man, it's bad enough we had to use cell phones to talk. Now we got to write with them. So I I said, all right, I'm gonna have to do some texting. So I'm gonna buy a plan. And the plan says, you got so many texts per month. Well, that was fine until Brother Stidermeyer started blowing up my phone. I mean, every day the brother sent in something like, man, you're killing me. I, I'm over my limit. Now I got to pay. So I'll go ahead, get unlimited. Just get unlimited. Let, let Brother Stenemeyer send as minute's texts as he wants to send. But see how easy that is? You can send a text to encourage somebody. It may be a thought from scripture. It may be some passages. It may be just, just small things. It doesn't take a lot. How about, how about some handwritten cards? Yeah, we still do that. Some of us do. There's uh, uh, some ladies at Oak Mountain. They get together from time to time. They used to get together at Sister Nancy Little's uh, place. And they would uh, write cards for different things. You know, maybe a young man gave his first invitation. They write a card, sign all their names. Or maybe you've been out for a while and they miss you. They write a card. And I've been on the recipient of that. I've received some of those cards. And, man, that picks you you up. It It doesn't take that much. That's the thing. It's such an easy sort of thing. But it pays such huge dividends. I mean, you've received cards. You know how it is. And if it's such an easy thing, why can't we all do that? Why can't we do more of that? To encourage each other daily. Uh, Romans 12, 15 says we need to rejoice with those who rejoice and and weep with those who weep. When something good happens to somebody, let's participate in that. You know, sometimes you have brethren, they get a new car, and they're all excited and everything, and and we ought to just go out there and rejoice with them. But what do we do? Uh, How did he get that? How, did, how can he afford that? I can't afford that. How did he get that car? No, that's the wrong attitude. That's jealousy. That's envy. No, no. We're going to rejoice for those who rejoice. Somebody was able to move into a new home. That's great. Somebody got a new job. That's great. We're there for you. But on the flip side, weep with those who weep. Have you ever gone through something hard, something difficult? Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. And doesn't it help to have brethren to simply reach out to you? Maybe they send you a condolences card. Maybe they give you a hug after the service. Maybe they call you on the phone, talk about some memories with your loved one. You know, that means something. That's encouraging. Anybody who's gone through that, I have, it means a lot. And it just doesn't take that much. I think we, we sell short the power of word the power of words. I hear sometimes people, oh, it's just words, it's just words. You don't know what you're talking about. Words are powerful. Words can change somebody's viewpoint. Words can pick up a soul and lift him or her up. Words can encourage them to keep going. And we need to do that. We need to encourage one another. We need to spend time doing that. Let me, here's, a, here's an easy one. Look at Hebrews 10 Twenty-four to 25. This, this is an easy one I'm going to give to you. You can practice this immediately. Hebrews chapter 10, verses twenty-four to 25. Are you wearing yourself out for Christ and edifying your brethren? Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. And let us consider, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Did you know that your very presence here is an encouragement to the other brothers and sisters in Christ who are here? Did you, did you know that? Just being here, the fact that you chose to be here and not somewhere else. That's an encouragement. I look around and I see, oh, okay, brother so-and-so's there. It's just, Man, that's great. That's fine. They believe in this stuff the way I do. They're committed the way I I'm so glad. It's good to see them. Okay? But let's take it a step further. Because he said that one of the reasons why we come together is to stir up one another to love and good works. How can we do that? Well, as we said, just our very presence does that. But, you know, I know we talk about a lot of things when we get together. Talk about the weather. Talk about politics. Talk about SEC football. Don't get me on that. I'm kind of mad about it last night, but uh, but that's okay. But if we can talk about those other things, is it possible we just might be able to have a spiritual conversation? What do you think about that? That we can ask. I can. Ask, hey, man, how's your walk with God? How are you doing with that coworker you've been trying to teach? How are you doing on your Bible study? Have you been hitting Romans? Hey, I've got some thoughts on that. Let me share. Can we have those kind of conversations? Can we have spiritual conversations before the service and spiritual conversations after the service? And and, and can we quit doing the 100-yard dash in 9.8 seconds going from here to the parking lot and we're gone? I mean, mean, some brother, you've got to run them down. Hey, hold, hold on. Stay around. Slow down. Slow down. This is easy. We're all here. You, you don't, it's not inconvenient. We're right here. Take some time to encourage. Let, let me encourage you to do this. Just about every service that I go to, I have a checklist. I have a checklist. I have things I want to do. Okay. Um, hmm. That brother gave a really good invitation. That was the first invitation he'd ever given. It's fantastic. I got to get to that brother and say something to him. Oh, that sister, she's finally come back. She's been out for about three or four weeks with some health problems. Need to encourage her. I want to talk to her about that. Uh, Oh, yeah, wait a minute. Uh, I know that brother just lost his mother. Got to say something to him about that. Oh, I know that this brother over here, uh, he gave a beautiful Lord's Supper talk. Got to say something to him. Do you have lists like that? Start making those kind of lists of ways you can encourage brethren, just reach out to them. And if you're like me, you know, you come to the service with a list, you get there and new stuff gets on the list. And I don't even get to the old stuff, but that's okay. That's a good problem to have. It's the fact that you have a list, that you're being intentional in stirring one another up to love and good works. And we can all do that. Quit saying, well, so-and-so would do that, that the elders, they're going to do that. The deacons are going to do that. No, you do that. That's the point. Are you wearing yourself out for Christ in edifying your brethren? Because it's your responsibility to do so. Quit pointing the finger at other people and point it back at yourself. Are we doing that? Are we wearing ourselves out for Christ in edifying our brethren? Third point are you wearing yourself out for Christ in being hospitable to your brethren? Are you wearing yourself out for Christ in being hospitable? To your brother. I know somebody's saying, wait a minute, being hospitable. No, no, no. That's I know what that is. That's 1 Timothy 3:2. Let me see, 1 Timothy 3:2. Qualifications of the elders. 1 Timothy 3:2 says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable. Boom! There it is. If you want to be an elder, you got to be hospitable. I don't want to be an elder. I can't be an elder, so I don't have to worry about hospitality. No, no, no. Sorry. Don't don't get off that easy. Look at First Peter chapter four, verse nine. 1 Peter chapter four, verse nine. 1 Peter chapter four, and verse nine. 1 Peter chapter four and verse nine. The Bible says very simply, "Be." hospitable to one another without grumbling. So that's an individual responsibility. All of us must be hospitable to one another. Now let me challenge you a little bit. How hospitable are you? Been here for a while maybe? Been here for five years, maybe 10 years, 15, 20 years? How many of these brethren been in your home? <laughs> don't answer, don't answer, I'm asked. How many of these brethren been in your home? And if the answer is zero or just a few, why? Why haven't you opened your home to the brethren? Well, you know, my house is small and, and you know I don't have a lot and, and you know it's not very fancy and you know I just don't have a lot of time and I'm busy and are any of those excuses gonna stand up on Judgment Day? <laughs> uh, I don't think so, brethren. Why are we not hospitable to one another? Open our homes to one another. You know how close we can get when we do that? I mean, yes, it's good for us to be here. We just talked about coming to the assembly, low-hanging fruit. We can stir one another up to loving good works. But there's just another level when we get together outside of these walls here of getting to know each other, of developing relationships with each other. I mean, it's clear in Acts chapter 2 that the first century Christians, they spend a lot of time together, a lot of time. And, and I wonder, I really do wonder if we were to take ourselves and transplant ourselves back in time, a lot of us would be hurting. <laughs> we, we'd be hurt because we're barely getting Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and, and these people meeting every day. <laughs> we would like, wait weight of it's too much. Uh uh-uh, uh, it's not too much. Those are people who love each other and care about each other. They're working together for the Lord and they spend time together. And we need to do that. And all of us, again, the nice thing about this is all of us can do this. I don't care how big or how small your house is. There was a sister and her husband. They moved to a congregation, and they wanted to get to know everybody. So you know what they did? They pulled out the directory, and they pulled out simultaneously a calendar, and they went through every Sunday, And they had a list of invitees among the congregation with the goal of having every single person in that congregation in their home by the end of 365. Folks, that's being hospitable. And they they may not have gotten everybody because you can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink, but they got a lot of people in that home. And she cooks well too, and so word got out, so (laughs) people started coming. Uh, But you can do it, we can be intentional like that. Be hospitable. And this last part, I I, I know the Lord wrote this for me. Be hospitable without grumbling, without grumbling. So let let me tell you a little bit about my household. My lovely wife, my lovely wife is one of the best housekeepers that ever walked on God's green earth. I mean, I guarantee you, when it comes time for her to be admitted to the Hall of Fame of house cleaners, she's going in on the first ballot. Uh, Unanimous. Nobody will contest that. And that's wonderful. That's great but there's another level of cleanliness when we have people over. I mean, it's bad as it is, but it goes into overdrive when we have folks, which would be perfectly fine if she kept me out of it. But the problem is she has this notion that I need to assist. So I'll be honest with you. I, I, I hate to tell this. There, there's some time I'm like, man, I don't want those people over because I know what that means. Yeah. Oh, man, mopping and sweeping and cleaning stuff. Out. Oh, man. Kevin, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And so I've got some things to work on. But it's important. Are you wearing yourself out for Christ and being hospitable to your brethren? Another point, fourth point. Are you wearing yourself out for Christ in relieving the needy saints? Are you wearing yourself out for Christ in relieving the needy saints? And when when you hear that phrase, you may be thinking about the collective treasury of your local congregation. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking to you individually. Are you wearing yourself out in relieving the needy saints? Look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. 1 John, the third chapter, verses 16 through 18. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. The Bible says this. By this we know love. Because he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? He says, now now we know love. How do we know love? Because we've seen Jesus Christ on the cross, the greatest demonstration of love that we've seen. Right there, we know that. And and I love what what John does with it. He says, you know, we can't keep that on the cross because he says, you know what? We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Think about that. We ought to be willing to lay down our life, to die, to take a bullet, so to speak, for our brethren. Now, if we got that out of the way, if we've established that, then the next part is easy. I mean, if I'm willing to give up my life for you, It's a small thing to give up my goods for you, right? Because he says, now if you got that established and you know that your brother needs some help financially and you have got the means to help out and you don't do it, you shut up your heart for him, you do the James 2 depart, be warm, and be filled thing, how does the love of God abide in you? (laughs) It's a rhetorical question. It doesn't. It doesn't, because the love of God compelled Jesus to die on the cross, and the love of God ought to compel us to give our very lives for our brethren. If we're willing to give our very lives for our brethren, it's a small thing to give up some financial resources for one another. I was talking to a brother one time, and he had a situation where somebody came to him with a need financially, and his first instinct was to take it to the elders. He thought it was an appropriate expenditure. It was a saint. They were needy, so it was within the scriptures. That was his first instinct. But then he had a second thought. He said, wait a minute. Why am I taking this to the elders? I can take care of this myself. And that's what he did, 1 John 3, 16 through 18. And, and this same brother, I, I talked to him, and he's really well-developed along these lines. He said, you know, I'll tell you, what, I, what he does is this. Every time he gets paid, Every time he gets a check, he sets aside a portion of that money to have it available for those in need. Because he never wants to be in a situation where somebody comes to him asking him for something, and because he has spent all of his money, he has to turn them away. Wow, that's a brother being intentional about being uh, relieving the needy saints. He's saying, "Now be careful." That you don't just live high on the hog and you're spending every last penny on yourself selfishly. He said, you know, you just might want to carve out some money to help those who are in need, especially the saints. That's a good challenge, is it not? If I were to put up here your checkbook, your check register, each one of you individually, we're going to take the time, we're going to have a a hyper-long service, we're going to go through everybody. Would there be any evidence of 1 John chapter 3 verses 16 through 18? Don't say anything. Just, just think. Would there be any evidence that you're doing 1 John 3, 16 through 18? When's the last time you helped some brother financially? When's the last time you stroked a check to a brother? Gave him some cash, got him some food, took care of a bill. When's the last time? Well, Kevin, I, I don't know anybody that, that has any needs. Now come on, folks. <laughs> I know that we're pretty well off at this congregation, but don't tell me nobody here has ever had any needs. I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that nobody on my has never had any needs. I've never met a congregation like that. If you know that congregation, let me know. We need to be close enough to one another that we know those needs, right? I'll give you an example. Congregation in Atlanta. There's a brother in Christ. It was an engineer, lost his job. And uh, was having a tough time financially. And uh, this brother uh, was very outgoing, loved to talk. He was one of the ones that he would leave his Bible where he normally sits, go out and talk and talk and talk and be the last person out the building. You know those kind of folks. So anyway, during this period of time where he is in need financially, he does that very thing. And he comes back to the seat when everybody's left, about ready to cut the lights off. And he sees an envelope, an unmarked envelope of money. And he has no idea who gave it to him. And this is years ago. I mean, years ago. I was in college, It tells you how long. And I remember recently, I was just curious. I asked, I said, hey, man, did you ever track down who, that, who gave you that money? He said, man, I never did. I, to this day, I don't know who gave it to me. Man, that's somebody who's big about giving, right? They they don't don't want any credit for it. The brother doesn't even know who gave it to him. But they just want to help him out out of their individual means. We can do that, brethren. We can excel in that. We can wear ourselves out in giving to our brethren. Why? Here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. We love our brethren. And if you've ever been in financial distress, you know this to be true. It's a distraction. Let's be honest. It's a distraction. If you don't know how you're going to put food on the table, if you don't know if you can pay that medical bill, if you don't know if you can keep the lights on, that weighs on you. That's a distraction. That bothers you. Guess what? A distracted servant is an ineffective servant. Because you're so focused on this stress and anxiety, you're not teaching like you need to be doing it. You're not studying the Bible like you need to be doing it. You're not praying like you need to be doing. You're not going to gospel meetings like you need to be doing because you focus on this thing. So what we do, the brethren who have means, we swoop in, we provide that need, we take care of that need, we take that off the table so then you can get back to focusing on serving God. You see? And that's what it's all about, right? We don't want anybody, anybody distracted with financial problems. There's no reason for that because we, we've got some that we can help out. So we need to do that, folks. We need to help one another. And we need to wear ourselves out with it. Last point in the lesson, yours: Are you wearing yourself out for Christ in helping the non-believing poor? Are you wearing yourself out for Christ in helping the non-believing poor? Go back to the verse that we started with: Galatians chapter six, verse ten. Galatians chapter six and verse ten. Galatians chapter six and verse ten. Galatians six ten. the Bible says therefore as we have opportunity let us do good to all especially to those who are the household of faith. Now there's no question there's an emphasis on our generosity to the saints because he says especially to the household of the faith. But did you see what preceded that? Let us do good to all. That would include non-believers. Gut check time. When is the last time you helped a non believer financially? When is the last time? Don't raise your hand. When's the last time you took of your means to help somebody, not a saint, financially? Whether it was give them some money, write them a check, take care of a bill for them, take care of an obligation for them. When's the last time? And I hope it was recently. Because, friends, this is a part of Christianity. Pure and undefiled religion for God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world, James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion is part of that; is taking care of the least among us. So, same way we've done with everything else every night. If I'm not taking care of the least among us, am I practicing pure and undefiled religion? But Kevin, you understand, I, I'm faithful to the gospel meetings and I'm here all the time when the lights are on and I'm studying my Bible. Question, if you're not giving to the non-believing poor, are you practicing pure and undefiled religion? James 1.27 says no. And I'm not saying Bible study is not important and I'm not saying assembly is not important, but I'm saying that giving to the non-believing poor is also important. It's a part of pure and undefiled religion. And so we have to look in ourselves. Again, we talked about the Bible, Brother Jenkins. We talked about the Bible as a mirror. We've got to shine that mirror on our hearts. Who are we as a people? What are we doing? What are we not doing? And if we find that we're not doing these things, and here's the interesting thing. I just talked about That's a low bar right there. I just said, are we doing it? The question really is, are you wearing yourself out for Christ doing it? Are you wearing yourself out for Christ? Look at Ephesians 4.28 real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good. Now listen to this. That he may have something to give him who has need. Did you know that? One of the reasons why we work is to have enough money to help people out who are in need. That's what God says. One of the purposes of working is to have money to give to those who are in need. So when you have that job that God gave you and you exercise your abilities within that job that God gave you and God says, I gave you that job and I gave you those abilities for you to have extra to give to those who are in need, and you don't do it, how do you think God feels about that? How do you think God feels about that? He said, that's the very reason why I gave you a job. And we're not fulfilling that purpose if we're not giving to those who are in need. And that's individual, folks, that's what we're talking about. I'm talking about individuals. We need to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, are we practicing New Testament Christianity? It's a lot more than just knowing the doctrine when it comes to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. That's important, but it's more than that. It's more than just knowing the plan of salvation. That's important, but it's more than that. It's more than knowing what the church can or cannot do with its collective funds. That's important, but it's more than that. I'm afraid there are going to be some Christians that are in for a rude awakening on Judgment Day because of things like this. Go back to Galatians chapter 6. The people he's talking to, they are doing these things and then some. They're doing it so much that Paul says, you know what? I've got to counsel these folks. Don't give out. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep up the fight. And so I ask you, individually, are you wearing yourself out for Christ and teaching the lost? Are you wearing yourself out for Christ and edifying your brethren? Are you you wearing yourself out for Christ and being hospitable to your brethren? Are you wearing yourself out for Christ and giving to the needy saints? And are you wearing yourself out for Christ in relieving the needs of the unbelieving poor? I hope that the answer to those questions is yes, and if the answer to those questions, any of them, is no, I hope you'll repent of that, I hope I'll repent of that, because those are the kind of people we need to be. Folks, as I tell people, we got an eternity to rest. We need to be working. We need to be working. Yes, you may have to give up some college football on Saturday. Yes, you may have to give up some some golfing outings. Yes, you may have to get up some mall trips and some fishing trips and whatever it is you like to do, but it's worth it because we're doing the Lord's work. We're trying to get people to heaven. We love people and we love God. And that needs to show in our lives. I want you to look at yourself have an honest examination. Hebrews 4.13 says the word of God does many things, but I like the last part. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. If you read the Bible with an open and honest mind, it will tell you about yourself. Now, you may not like what you read (laughs) because it's not looking at you the way your mama looks at you. It's looking at you the way God looks at you. And that's a much different picture. But if you're honest... You can see your shortcomings. You can see your failings. And then you can work on those things. And God gives us the means to do that. We're constantly growing. We're constantly becoming more and more like Christ. We don't ever want to plateau. We don't ever want to say, I'm complacent. I'm just going to have an autopilot going right into heaven. That's not the way it works. You're either growing or you're backsliding. That's it. Remember Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, really sad. You got some Christians there. They had been in the Lord's body long enough that they should have been teachers. That's what he said. You should be. You've been in the body long enough. You should be teaching. He said, here's the shame of it. Not only are you not teachers, you need to be taught again the very first principles of Christ. You guys are supposed to be college professors. You need to go back to kindergarten. That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. But in our churches, we have brethren that have been around and been in the Lord 20, 30, 40, 50 years that fall in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. Don't let let that be you. Don't let that be you. And there's an easy way. Continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 2 Peter says. Grow every day. Get better every day. Be a better student every day. Be a better teacher every day. Do something more today than you did yesterday. And wear yourself out for Christ. So that at the end, Jesus will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If there's anybody here who hasn't obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to give you that invitation. Not from me, not from this congregation, but from the Lord. The Lord is calling you to come out of darkness. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. By virtue of that sin, we deserve the wrath of God. Remember, we talked about that, that's hell. There's only one way to escape the wrath of God, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ, which delivers us from the wrath that is to come. 2 Thessalonians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And so we need to figure out how do we access the blood of Jesus that can deliver us from the wrath that is to come. And we're told that in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10. that says that Jesus is going to come back a second time. He's going to come back with his angels executing vengeance on those who do not know God and have not obeyed the gospel. And so if I want to avoid that fate, you know what I do? I've got to know God. I've got to obey the gospel. How do we do that? You hear the gospel message. You believe that message. Based on that message, you confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Based on that message, you repent of your former way of life. Based on that message, you're baptized into Christ. And that baptism is not pouring. It's not sprinkling. It's an immersion. You contact the blood of Jesus Christ. washes away all of your sins. Now you're a fit vessel to do the work of the Lord. And that work is to seek and save that which is lost. Because that's what Jesus came to do, Luke 19.10. And you spend the rest of your life with that overriding goal, that directive, that imperative. I'm seeking lost souls. And let's add what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4:16. Take heed unto thyself and the doctrine. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. What's he saying? He's saying, all right, make sure that you teach right. Make sure the doctrine is right. But equally important, make sure that you live right. If you teach right and you live right, you will have the most impact for the Lord. And we've had some people sometimes who teach right, don't live right. There's a lot of harm to the gospel. A lot of harm. But he says, you put those two things together, you teach right, you live right, a lot of good is going to be done by you in the kingdom. And of course, all to the glory of God. We're not here for our personal glorification because God is the one who gets all the honor, all the glory, all the credit. The fact that we're even here in his church is because of his grace. He cleanses us with the blood of his son through obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. But maybe you're already a Christian and you've fallen away. Come back. And come back tonight. Get back in the fold. I know you can't sleep right. There's no How can you sleep right? Knowing the terror of the Lord. Knowing the wrath of God. You know what's going to happen if you don't wake up. Make it right tonight. Or maybe you just want the prayers of the saints. Maybe you're going through something difficult. Do you believe James 5.16? The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And folks, nobody's going to look at you crazy. Nobody's going to condemn you. Nobody's going to put you down. If you come forward and say, I just need some prayers. I need the prayers of the saints. You think about all these strong Christians praying on your behalf and what that could do to change whatever you're going through. If anybody's subject to any of those invitations, which are the Lord's, not mine, we ask you to come forward as we stand, as we sing.